Before we um, go to God's Word together, I want us to reflect for just a moment about preaching and one way that it's different from other forms of public speech. Uh, so, for example, when a, when a self-help guru gives a motivational speech, you'll likely at some point hear about the changes that he made to his actions or his attitudes that changed his life. Or when the saleswoman gives her sales pitch, you'll likely hear how her product or her company made her rich or somehow or another greatly improved her quality of life. Or when a politician gives a campaign speech, you'll likely hear him talk about how he is the one who can bring about the change that we need. In these and other types of public speech, the speaker presents himself or herself as an object to be followed. That's not what should happen in a Christian pulpit. The preacher does not stand here as the one who has figured it all out. The preacher does not stand here saying, just follow me and fill in the blank. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that a preacher should not strive for faithfulness and holiness. But I am saying that even the best of us have not yet arrived. The, the preacher does not stand here and say, follow me and all will be well. He says instead, let's follow Christ together. And then the preacher ought to, with confidence, say, let's follow Christ together, and this is the direction that Christ would have us to go. Not because the preacher is walking that way perfectly, but because he has labored to understand the Word of God. I wanted to begin that way this morning because in our study of Matthew's gospel, we have come to a text that I am far from mastering in my life. Now, it's always true every time I preach God's Word that I am exposed and confronted with ways that I am falling short. But this one is especially true because today we're talking about fasting. Now, I can tell you with certainty that I have not had anything to eat since breakfast but that's about as far as it goes. Um, our brother Eli, who preached God's Word, and a variant that's not in our translations last week, uh, encouraged me this morning to tell me that he has a sack lunch provided for me as soon as the service is over, since we're talking about fasting today. I cannot say to you for, from my own life, follow me in this area, and all will be well. I cannot even say this morning, follow me as I follow Christ. What I can say is this, let's follow Jesus together. And I'm confident that this is the direction Jesus would have us to go, not because I have mastered it myself, 
but because I have studied God's Word. So if you will, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. Jesus is teaching His disciples, we remember, about how to live faithfully as citizens of the kingdom of heaven while living as citizens of this world. We're dual citizens. We, we belong to heaven, but we live here. We studied this sermon, and we, we just finished studying Jesus' teaching on prayer, and this morning we're examining His teaching on the discipline of fasting. Uh, let me give you what I think is, is the big idea of our text this morning, and then I want to read it, and then I want us to unpack it together. Here's the big idea of this text. Jesus expects His followers to fast rightly. If you want it in a sentence, what I think Jesus is saying in these verses, here it is. Jesus expects His followers to fast rightly. Let's read the passage. Verses 16 to 18 of Matthew chapter 6. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Two truths from the text this morning I want us to walk through together. Number one, Jesus expects His followers to fast. And number two, Jesus expects His followers to fast rightly. But before we dive into those truths from this text, I think it's important that we answer the question, what does it mean to fast? Because you might be in this room and you might not understand what this means. Or perhaps you've been misinformed along the way. What does it mean to fast? In his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, Donald Whitley, Whitney defines fasting as a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. If you're a note taker, jot that definition down. It's a Christian's voluntary abstinence abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. Each of those words are important. The fasting we're talking about in this text is for Christians. Now, you don't have to be a Christian to temporarily abstain from food. In fact, other religions have a high value of fasting. Our Muslim friends and neighbors, our, our Buddhist friends and neighbors have a very serious view of fasting. You don't have to be a Christian to abstain from food. Uh, maybe you, you or someone you know is a, is a health nut, and they've maybe taken up recently intermittent fasting, which has really grown in popularity in re recent years. It's abstaining from food for a certain period of time and eating in another window. You don't have to be a Christian to do that, but the fasting we're talking about is different. Every other type of fasting is done to earn something. Every other type of fasting. Either you're trying to earn the favor of the gods, or you're trying to earn a, a better number on the scale. 
Christian fasting is not done to earn something. The Christian understands that there is nothing that he can do to earn favor with God. If you're in this room and you're not a follower of Jesus, listen to me carefully. If you leave here this morning and your big takeaway is to fast, you have completely misunderstood the point of the Christian message. God does not say to you, dear friend, do these things and earn my favor. He says to you, your efforts to earn my favor will accomplish nothing. You are hopelessly dead in your trespasses and sins. You cannot earn my favor. What you must do is admit your complete inability to earn my favor. And you must cry out in faith to Christ who lived a sinless life and died a sinner's death and rose from the dead to save you. That's what you must do today, friend. Don't start with a checklist to do this or that so that you can earn a relationship with God. No, you come to him with empty hands because only empty hands get filled. The good news of the gospel is that God has done the work to bring us into relationship with him. And our responsibility is simply to turn from our sins, that's repentance, and trust in Christ and what he did on the cross. And most of us in this room are Christians. So this kind of fasting actually applies to you. But if you're in this room and you're not a Christian, can I just plead with you, if you'd like to talk to someone more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, head to the white flag over here after the service. One of our pastors will be there to talk with you and pray with you. But fasting, the fasting we're talking about is for Christians. The the fasting we're talking about is voluntary. It's voluntary. So so this is not skipping food because you're so busy that you forgot to eat. Personally, I've never done that, but some of you have. This is not skipping food because you're stuck in traffic. This is not skipping food because you slept in or you got stuck in a long meeting or you were pressured into it by a religious leader. The type of fasting that we're talking about is a voluntary, conscious decision. You're choosing not to eat. It's voluntary. The fasting we're talking about is abstinence from food. Now, I've heard many Christians, many lovely, well-meaning, faithful, godly Christians say that the, the call to fast can be applied to all sorts of things. So you can fast from, you know, dark chocolate, or you can fast from coffee, or you can fast from uh, social media, or fast from your smartphone. Fasting is kind of like a, a choose-your-own-adventure novel, and you just kind of pick something that you want to abstain from for a season, and you just do that. 
If you think that way about fasting, you're not alone. A spiritual giant like Martin Lloyd-Jones once wrote that fasting must not only be confined to the question of food and drink, fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. Now, I humbly am going to disagree with the late, great Dr. Lloyd-Jones. I don't think it's right or helpful to redefine fasting that way. Let me give you three reasons why I think, why I would agree with Dr. Whitney that fasting should be an abstinence from food. Three reasons. The word fast literally means not to eat. It means no food or without eating, without food. It's one reason. The second reason is the Bible never refers to abstinence from something else as fasting. Never. The closest we could get is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where a husband and wife are told not to abstain from intimacy except for a season and only for the purpose of prayer. But the word fasting is not used in that text. Most importantly, I think that by broadening the definition of fasting, it actually undermines biblical fasting. What happens when we refer to fasting as an abstinence from other things? Do you know what we end up doing, especially in the well-fed West? We end up fasting from everything else and not from food. No wonder John Stott wrote that some of us live our Christian lives as if Jesus' teaching on fasting has been torn out of our Bibles. Do you live that way, Christian? Could it be that that fasting is so rarely practiced in the Christian life because we have so quickly explained away its meaning and significance? I'm going to suggest to you my belief that fasting, as Scripture intends it, is meant to be an abstinence from food. Not to say that there might not be value in abstaining from other things. Most of us would probably do well to abstain from our smart, smartphones a little bit more often, wouldn't we? Most of us would probably do well to abstain from all sorts of things. But I think that we do well to refer to fasting, limit, limit it to an abstinence from food. Finally, the fasting we're talking about is done for spiritual purposes. This is not fasting for weight loss or physical health. There might be certain health benefits associated with fasting, but the fasting we're talking about is not concerned first and foremost with the physical. It is done for spiritual purposes. It is a spiritual discipline. So again, our definition of fasting is a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. Now let's look at the text. Two truths from the text. Number one, Jesus expects his followers to fast. Jesus expects his followers to fast. Years ago, I was a student pastor, and I led our students to fast for one meal for one day. And the goal was we would, we would not eat for one meal during their lunch break at school, 
And if people asked why they weren't eating, they would tell them we're raising money to support uh, kids in extreme poverty around the world. And so I, you know, this is a great idea. I'm really excited about this. And I, I pitched it to our youth group on a Wednesday night. And by the time I got home, I had a bunch of emails in my inbox from angry parents that I would dare to suggest that a child should miss a meal. I tried to respond to the parents. It didn't go so well, but the idea was, listen, don't you understand the physical and the psychological effects of missing a meal? You're harming our children. Now, maybe you're listening right now, and you're thinking, wait a second, pastor. Don't you know what would happen to me if I missed a meal? Don't you know the physical and psychological effects that that might have on me? I mean, when you preach a little bit too long, don't you look, see the look at my, on my face? I mean, listen, this is, this is not easy. I know it's not easy. And yet, Jesus, as Bubba prayed earlier, assumes that we will fast. Look at the text, verse 16. And what does it say? What's the next word? When. And when you fast... Look at verse 17, but what? When, when you fast. As Bubba prayed, Jesus doesn't say, if you fast, he says, when. Why? Because Jesus expects that his followers will fast. If that doesn't convince you, Consider verses 2 to 7. We preached those a month or so ago. And Jesus uses the same language to talk about giving and praying. He repeatedly says, when you give and when you pray. No Christian tries to explain away Jesus' teaching on giving or prayer. Why then would we do so when he says, when you fast. Or look in your Bibles at Matthew chapter 9. So hold your finger in Matthew 6 and turn over a few pages in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 14. The scripture says, then the disciples of John came to Jesus saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So this is John the Baptist. He's got followers just like Jesus has followers. And John the Baptist followers, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of, you know, they're on the same team. And they, they like Jesus. John said he was the, the Lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. And so the disciples of John the Baptist maybe rub shoulders with Jesus' disciples at times. And they say, hey, wait a second. What's different? Man, we fast and we pray, but we don't ever see you guys fast. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? In other words, I'm the bridegroom. They're the wedding guests. I'm here. I'm physically present. This is a time for feasting, not fasting. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they what? Will fast. Notice Jesus says his followers, and that means you, Christian, in the room. Christian, he says, 
you will fast. Christian, there is a time for feasting and enjoying God's good gifts. We Baptists are good at feasting. We're good at that. There's also a time for fasting. And guess what? Baptists tend to not be very good at that. When Jesus returns and we're physically in His presence, like His disciples were during Jesus' earthly ministry, it will be an eternal feast. You're feasting forever. But Jesus is not physically with you now, Christian. And now, Jesus says, His disciples will fast. The disciples apparently took Jesus at His word. Because we notice several times in the book of Acts, we see them fasting. For example, Acts 13, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Or Acts 14, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Throughout church history, fasting was practiced and encouraged by Bible teachers like Tertullian, John Chrysostom, Augustine, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Wesley, George Whitfield, and many, many more. So let me ask you, follower of Jesus, Christian in the room, are you living like Jesus expects you to fast? Are you living like Jesus expects you to fast? If yes, praise God. It's great. I mean that. Praise God. If you are living that way, and this is a discipline that you have cultivated in your life, can I just ask you, would you please help disciple those around you? Because my guess is, if we're honest... Most of us struggle mightily here. So if you are not, Christian, if you are not living like Jesus expects you to fast, here's a question I want you to ask yourself, and perhaps this is a good discussion for fellowship groups this week. If you're not living like Jesus expects you to fast, why not? Why not? Maybe for some of you it's ignorance. Maybe you've never heard any of this before. If you're a new Christian, it's okay. Listen, if you're a new, if you're a new Christian, you're a baby Christian, some of you in this room may be, you're going to learn about stuff every week, and it's going to be awesome. Praise God. We want to help you. We want to help you grow in your knowledge of God's Word. Okay, so don't feel guilty about that. You're, you're a baby. If you've been a Christian for a while, and you didn't know that Jesus expects His followers to, to fast... Maybe you need to ask, have I been in God's Word as I should? Have I studied as I should? Some, perhaps, and I should have led with this, but some of us perhaps don't fast because of health reasons. We need to be honest about this. Some of you have physical challenges that would make fasting difficult or even dangerous. If you're not sure, I would encourage you to talk with your doctor. Maybe ask your doctor if a modified fast is a possibility for you. Perhaps you could fast for a shorter period or fast from certain foods. 
Maybe you don't fast because of fear. Even thinking about it, you're like, man, this is scary. I, I can't imagine doing that. That sounds really hard. Listen, if Jesus calls you to do something, will he not also equip you to do it? That does not mean, though, Christian, that it will be easy. I still remember the very first time I attempted to fast. I can't remember exactly how old I was, but it was in my teenage years. And um, I don't remember if a preacher had preached about it recently or I was reading my Bible or something. But I was, I'm going to fast today. I'm not going to eat anything all day. And, and I did pretty good for breakfast, starting to get a little hangry by lunchtime. And then around 4 or 5 o'clock, my mom said, let's go to McDonald's for dinner. And I could not imagine my brothers and sisters munching on those golden crispy french fries while I just sat and watched them. So I said, obviously, this is too hard. That must be a sign from the Lord. This fast is over. Listen, it is hard to fast. Can I tell you just in honesty as your pastor, I have started way more fast than I have finished. I have many times with well intentions tried to fast and failed. Maybe you, you don't fast because of laziness. Maybe your failure to fast is indicative of a, a general outlook towards following Jesus. In a room this size, there, there, there are some in this room, that you, you know, you've got your get out of hell free card. That's all you really want. You know, you're just what the basics. That's all I want. I don't want a, any extra credit. I just want to do kind of the bare minimum to coast by and be okay. Do you lack an, a sense of urgency in your pursuit of holiness? If that's you here this morning, brother, sister, I would plead with you to confess and ask God to change your heart. Maybe you don't fast out of apathy. Maybe your posture is, eh, I just don't care. You know, I mean, I'm just not really that into this following Jesus thing. Maybe this is just one out of many areas of your life where you don't look like a follower of Jesus. And the passion for him is gone. I would plead with you to ask God to restore the joy of your salvation. Maybe there's some other reason. Here's a practical challenge for you this morning, brother, sister. If you're not living like Jesus expects you to fast, talk to someone about it, a brother, sister, before you leave here today. Maybe your spouse Maybe a good uh, Christian friend or someone that disciples you. Maybe you go to the white flag after the service and talk to one of our pastors. But, but before you leave here today, confide in someone and ask for them to pray for you that you might grow in this area. L let me give you two other just practical things here. Um, we're, we're preaching through the gospel of Matthew. Most of you figured that out about a year ago when we started. Um, and we're going to be in it for a while, but because we're in chapter 6 right now, eventually we're going to get to chapter 9. That's the next time Jesus uh, talks about fasting. Here's a really practical challenge that most of us in this room should be able to do. Christian, Christian in this room, 
by God, with God's help, attempt to fast before we get to Matthew chapter 9. So that when we talk about fasting again, you can actually reflect on something you've actually practiced. It's a practical challenge. I think most of us would be able to do that. Something that Christians in the early church often did, here's a second maybe practical way to apply this. Christians in the early church often would fast prior to taking the Lord's Supper. So perhaps you might, that might be for you a cue to consider fasting. At PBC, we take the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of every month, generally speaking. So you might sometime in that week leading up to that Sunday choose to fast for a meal or for a day and devote that time to prayer and self-examination prior to taking the Lord's Supper. So Jesus expects his followers to fast, but that's not enough, Christian. Jesus expects his followers, number two, to fast rightly. It is possible to do a spiritual discipline like fasting and do it wrong. That's what this whole section in Matthew's gospel is about. You remember, we began Matthew 6, and Jesus is talking about giving and praying, and he's rebuking those who do it hypocritically, those who perform righteousness theater, if you remember from a few months ago. Those who give and pray and fast in order to be seen. Jesus says he is not pleased with that kind of fasting. Jesus tells us how not to fast in verse 16, how to fast in verses 17 and 18, first half of 18, and why we should fast in the second half of verse 18. I want to go through each of those. Uh, first, how not to fast. Verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Now, every now and then I look out on a Sunday morning and some of you look a little bit gloomy. It could be that you're fasting. Maybe that's what it is. Well, that was a, a preacher's joke for you guys. My kids will, they will mock me for it later, I'm sure. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Uh, Jesus is likely referencing here the, the Pharisees. They fasted twice a week, and they often did so in order to be seen by other people. So one commentator writes that the Pharisees would sometimes wear old clothes that were purposely torn and soiled. They would dishevel their hair, cover themselves with dirt and ashes, or even use makeup to make themselves look pale and sickly. And then you see that, man, it's like, Joe's having a rough day. Joe, what's going on? Fasting for the Lord. Fasting for the Lord. Now, here in the 21st century, Man, we're far too subtle to do anything like that. Here's what we do. Instagram picture of you reading your Bible. You know, you get the right filter on there. Hashtag fasting for Jesus today, you know. Or maybe you attempt to fast, as I've done many times. And, you know, about a few hours in, you start to get a bit hangry and People start asking, what's going on? Why are you so grumpy today? I'm fasting for Jesus. 
Leave me alone. I'm holy. I'm doing holy things right now. Right? Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that. If you fast for the praise of men, that's all you will get. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? Jesus, notice how much he loves you. He doesn't merely want you to fast for fasting's sake. He wants you to fast for the sake of a reward. Now, we often don't like to think about rewards. We might feel mercenary, right? You know, I'm I'm just supposed to do it because I love Jesus. Jesus says, I want you to do it for a reward. And if you fast like those guys, the hypocrites, you're not going to get a reward. You wasted it. All of that you know, all of that stomach growling for nothing. Jesus doesn't want that for you. He says, don't fast like that. Whether you're fasting or praying or giving or coming to church or whatever it is, whatever spiritual discipline you're doing, do not do it for the applause of men. Jesus also tells us in this text how to fast. How to fast, starting in verse 17. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Why? That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Now, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to think that Jesus wants you literally before you fast to dump oil on your head. Then your face just looks all greasy and everybody still wonders what's going on while I'm following Jesus. Now, this would be like normal, basic hygiene in that day. So what Jesus is telling you is don't do anything out of the ordinary. Do the normal things. So take a shower. If you normally take a shower, take a shower. Normally put on deodorant, put on your deodorant. You normally wash your face, put on makeup, whatever. Do the normal things you do. When you fast, the goal is not to behave or present yourself in such a way that you look different. You're supposed to look normal. And I think this is the hardest part about fasting rightly. Because, I don't know about you, Honestly, even even preaching about fasting, it's affecting me right now psychologically. It's like going without food, I just start to get grumpy. I just, I, I mean, I might be the only one, but that's me. And fasting and presenting yourself different in any way to your brothers, sisters, and friends, you have missed the point. Jesus wants you to present yourself the same way you do every other day when you fast. Why? Because you're not doing it to be seen. Now, here's where it gets really, really hard. Because the longer you fast, the more that sin kind of bubbles over. So, one commentator writes this. We use food and other good things to cover up the sins inside us. If pride or sensuality, if anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear, if they are within us, they will surface during fasting. 
At first, we'll rationalize that our anger is due to our fasting, but eventually, we will realize that the anger is ours, and that knowledge can lead us to seek healing in Christ. I wonder how many people in this room cover over sin with food or something else. When you fast, those things start to bubble up. As David Mathis writes, only as we voluntarily embrace the pain of an empty stomach do we see how much we've allowed our belly to be our God. For those of you that are new at this, maybe you've never fasted before or never fasted very long before, let me just suggest a few additional practical tips on how to fast. A few practical things. Number one, I would encourage you to start small. Don't leave here with visions of a 40-day fast in the wilderness, right? Praise God Jesus did that for you but that's probably not where you need to start, okay? Most of us are going to want you to eat before you get to that 40th day. Start small. Again, if you have medical conditions that would make fasting difficult, talk with your doctor before you get started. If you've never fasted before ever, I would encourage you to start with one meal or perhaps one day. If, like me, You sometimes feel dizzy, weak, or shaky when you go too long without eating. Consider trying a juice fast. So in normal fast, you're going to drink water. But a juice fast, you you might uh, allow yourself something like a V8 or something like that to provide nutrients and sugar for your body, but still not actually eat food. Start small. Second practical tip is plan your fast. Plan your fast. Like I said, I've begun many fasts in my life and finished far fewer. Many of those failed attempts were failures because I didn't plan what I was going to do during my fast. So, for example, don't start fasting the day of your fellowship group meeting, right? You know you're going to all get together and eat snacks, right? And you're just going to be grumpy, when everyone around you is eating, or you're going to do what I usually do and give in. And I guess I did, you know, I did four hours. I guess that's fine. I'll eat a snack or so. You know, that doesn't really help. It's better to plan the fast. So um, find out what's going on in your calendar. When are you able to realistically finish a fast that you start? Plan it out. Don't just plan what you're going to do, but also how you're going to pray. And that's, that's the third practical tip is is to pray when you fast. John MacArthur writes that you can pray without fasting, but you cannot fast biblically without praying. Or John Piper says, fasting is the hungry handmaiden of prayer. It's no accident that right after Jesus' teaching on prayer, He talks to us about fasting. Why? Because they, they go together. The two references in, 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 uh, in, the God, in the book of Acts that I've referred to, they're fasting and praying. So as you fast, pray, draw near to God. Don't try to manipulate God. Right? This is, fasting is not some sort of trick that we do to get what we want from God. 
Don't say to God, I'll, I'll, I'll eat again once you do, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. Set a time for how long you're going to fast and use that time to pray. And maybe even map out, here's the specific things or the specific people I'm going to be praying for as I fast. Before we conclude this morning, let's consider why. Why should we fast? Look at the second half of verse 18. Your father, when we fast rightly, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, let me just remind you one more time, if you're not a Christian, this is not for you yet. Notice he says, your father. If If you have not yet been adopted into the family of God, he is not your father, but he invites you to himself. He pleads with you to repent and believe the gospel and be welcomed into the family of God. And then You have a heavenly father, but if you in this room are not a follower of Jesus, this is not for you until you first repent and believe. But to the Christians in this room, what we want, the reward that we want in fasting is received from the father. Now, what is the reward that we receive when we fast? Is it like the reward of a paycheck after a hard week of work, you know, you fast for a a meal or a day or a few days or a week, and then God rewards you and He gives you something, maybe uh, health or wealth or prosperity or a restored relationship. Is that the reward that we receive? I think it's more like something my daughter and I experienced last weekend. I asked my kids who wanted to come with me to run a few errands, and Phoebe said, yes, And I looked over at her as we're in the vehicle, driving around, running errands, and she just got this big smile on her face. Now, she ended up getting a reward. Usually, we'll go somewhere, and I'll buy them a little treat, but she didn't care about that. That wasn't the reward for her. The reward for her was simply being with her father. That's what she wanted, and that's what she received. The reward for the Christian in fasting is God. Why do you fast? Why do we pray? Because we want more of God. We want to draw near to Him. We fast from food so that we might feast on God. John Piper writes this, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It's not the X-rated video, but the prime time dribble of triviality we drink in every night. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. Christian, we live in the well-fed 
west. We have so, so much. And it could be that we lack a hunger for God because we have spoiled our appetites on the things of this world. Is that you, Christian? Is that me? I want to be careful here. So when we talk about fasting, there's always a danger in, in the heart. Let me tell you something about yourself, Christian, about every single one of us. We, we're prone to extremes, right? And here's a danger that can happen in your own heart. You can think that the path to godliness means always fasting and never feasting. Not literally, of course, but the path to godliness means saying no to all the pleasures of this world, never enjoying anything good. Most of us are on the other end of the extreme. Most of us never fast from anything for very long at all. There are two ways on Christmas morning, two ways that my kids could dishonor me when I give them their gifts. One way would be for my kids to say, Oh, Father, I don't need any gifts from you. All I need is you. But I bought these for you. You know, Holly spent a long time picking these things out. <laughs> and I handed them to you. <laughs> Something like that. It is my joy son, daughter. It is my joy to give you these gifts, and I receive pleasure in watching you enjoy the things that I've given you. I want you to enjoy the gift. It does not honor the Father when we say, Father, I will abstain from the gifts of this world and live a life of monastic asceticism. It doesn't bring glory to the Father. He's given us gifts to enjoy there's another extreme, another way my kids could dishonor me on Christmas morning to receive the gift and to completely ignore me for the rest of the week. Is that what we do? Receive the good gifts that God has given us? Food, drink, relationships, weather, sport, entertainment, all these things that God has given us, and we receive them and completely ignore Him. In fasting, we remind ourselves that we ought to be hungry for something that tastes better than stuff. We ought to be hungry for God. We can show glory to God by rightly enjoying His gifts. Yes, sometimes, Christian, it is okay to feast. But our problem is that we rarely, if ever, stop feasting. We rarely turn away from the gifts to grow in our hunger for God. My prayer is that with God's help, we will grow in our hunger for God together. This is the direction that Jesus would have us to go. So let's follow him together. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the gift of food. 
Thank you for the gift of feasting. Thank you for the gift of Jesus who tasted food and drink, who feasted with his disciples, and yet who also fasted. Forgive us for our imbalance. Forgive us for our indifference. Forgive us for our appetites that are so stuffed with the things of this world that we do not fuel a hunger for God. Help us, I pray, Father. Help me to fast rightly so that I might grow in my hunger for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Just stand with me and sing together.